Thank you, Tom. Good morning. Um, first Sunday of the month. So we have uh, our children in here with us. And children, if you would like to go back to the tables, you may. There's plenty of fun things for you to do back there while I speak. You can listen to me, too. Um, it's also the first Sunday of Lent. Uh, so I want to remind you that for now the next five Sundays at 8.45 a.m., we're having a Lenten contemplative practice in the student center next door. Now, I know what you're thinking, 8.45, it's Sunday. I want to sleep in on Sunday. Uh, I, I just simply want to encourage you to make this a priority for the next five weeks. Uh, there, you know, we've talked, as we've gone through the Philippian series, we've talked about the idea of knowing Christ, that, that it's not just intellectual data, it's not just uh, learning more about Jesus. It, it's actually entering into relationship with Jesus. And something that, that there, there's a difference between intellectual knowing and contemplative knowing, actually resting in the presence of Christ. And I know for a lot of you who, like your personality is just go, 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 go. You're, you're thinking resting in Christ, like that just sounds like a waste of time to me. Uh, I want to encourage you that it is a beautiful opportunity to truly grow in your experiential, relational, participatory knowledge of the risen Christ. Uh, so that's next five Sundays. I'm not going to announce it again. So there you go. Uh, next five Sundays, 8.45 a.m. Also, uh, if you have not received the Lent calendar, uh, we have plenty in the back. So please grab them. Also, they're soup like... Uh, uh, Brian likes to do everything online. It's super easy to access online. It's simply under our resources tab. And uh, you see our Lent calendar there. You can click on it. You can open it on your phone every day if you want to just see, okay, what are the practices for today? Uh, we had our Ash Wednesday service this past Wednesday. And at the Ash Wednesday service, one of the things I said was, uh, so every day in the Lent calendar, we're inviting everyone to read the text that we're going to be looking at that coming Sunday. And I said at Ash Wednesday, I said, you know what, if, if everyone just did that, this would be a success to me. Even if you didn't do any of the other practices that the Lent calendar suggests, if you just were reading the scripture text, if we as a community were reading the same scripture text together every day through the week leading up to that Sunday, I'd be thrilled. Uh, so I wanna invite you to do that and consider that. Some things coming up this week, um, on Tuesday, practice gratitude. Thank God for something today. Uh, on Wednesday, take a moment midday, perhaps put it in your calendar, and be still and remember God is with you. Uh, what would it look like to just take a moment in the middle of your workday, in the middle of your school day, in the middle of your life in that day, and just simply be still for a few moments and remember God's right here. He's with me in this moment, whatever I have coming, whatever's going on. So some things there to consider. Uh, today, we're starting a series through Matthew chapter, chapters 8 and 9. And so I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 8, and I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you for another opportunity to gather together. God, thank you for community. Thank you that we can share life together. God, I pray that 
we would speak words of encouragement and grace and hope and healing to each other this morning. God, I pray as we look at this story in Matthew 8 of a man afflicted with leprosy coming to Jesus, God, that you would open our eyes to more of who Jesus is in our lives and in the world, that you would create in us a desire to be more like him. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So, Matthew chapter 8. Before we jump into Matthew chapter 8, because Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, starts when Jesus came down from the mountainside. So, I want to look back at uh, where the Gospel of Matthew has been and, and the story it's telling about Jesus. And so, in Matthew chapter 1, we have this genealogy of Jesus, and then Jesus is born. Matthew chapter 2, Jesus is about two years old, and these magi, wise men from the east, come and they worship Jesus. But uh, the king in Jerusalem at the time, King Herod, wants to kill Jesus because he doesn't want another king. He doesn't want this possibility that, that another king is rising up, and so he wants to kill Jesus. And so Jesus, along with Mary and Joseph, flee as refugees to Egypt, and they live in Egypt until Herod dies, at which point they return to Nazareth. And then uh, we don't hear anything more about Jesus until he's an adult. We, we have a uh, small glimpse of a story of Jesus uh, in, um, in Luke, but, but not in Matthew. And then Jesus begins uh, to come out to the public, and he gets baptized, in Matthew chapter 3, he ends up uh, fasting for 40 days in the wilderness and being tempted in Matthew 4. He begins to preach at, near the end of Matthew 4. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And those are the only words uh, he says in that moment. And, and, and Jesus is saying this idea of repentance is it's literally to turn. It, he, he's saying you've been seeing things one way, you've been viewing things one way, you've been doing things one way, you've been living your life one way, and I'm inviting you to turn and see this new way of being in the world that I have come to invite you into, this kingdom way of living. And then Jesus begins to heal the sick. And then in Matthew 5, it says, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And so for the next three chapters, Jesus teaches his famous Sermon on the Mount. And he starts with these Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The, the, when you are poor in spirit, you get to enter into this new way of being in the world, this kingdom way of being in the world that I am inviting you into. Blessed are those who mourn. What, what kind of blessing is that? Blessed are you when you're sad, when you grieve, Jesus says, for you will be comforted. He continues to say, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You, you are the people who are to shine God's light to the world. He, he expands on some of the Ten Commandments. He says, you've heard it said, do not kill. But I say, don't even hold anger against someone because that's murder in your heart. Uh, he said, you have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But then he ups the ante. He says, don't even lust after someone else. He says, uh, you have heard that it was said, 
do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord your vows. And he says, can, will you just let your yes be yes and your no be no? Just speak truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Then he really begins to up the ante. He says, you, you've heard that it was said, the, the Old Testament law said, uh, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Turn the other cheek. He, t he tells them to love their enemies. He says, practice your righteousness. Don't practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, but give in secret to those in need. He says the same about prayer, and it's in the Sermon on the Mount that he teaches us what is known as the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. He talks about fasting. He talks about where our true treasure is, that our true treasure is not accumulating things here, but our true treasure is in God, in heaven. And then he spends this big chunk. You know what he spends a big chunk on? Don't worry. Do not worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious. Uh, not a whole lot has changed in 2,000 years, has it? Jesus' words are as poignant for us today as they were 2,000 years ago to people then. It, can you just go a day without worrying? It's a tall order, isn't it? And it's not a command to weigh, weigh heavy on us. It's a command to free us. That's what all the commands are intended to do not weigh heavy burdens on us, as the religious leaders of Jesus' day were doing, but to free us to live freely and lightly in this kingdom way Jesus came to invite us into. And then at the end of Matthew 7, verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And so then, after Jesus gives this lengthy teaching, he comes down from the mountainside. Large crowds followed him. See, here, here's the thing uh, about Jesus, is he can have these mountaintop experiences and give this brilliant teaching, but he doesn't stay there. He comes down into the valley and meets with real people who are in need, and a man in great need comes to him. Uh, Jesus is not just uh, in some ivory tower, some academic who gives teachings. He's a master teacher, and he's a master practitioner, meeting with real people in their real lives. But he is God, so that kind of works for, for his advantage, too. Uh, so Jesus comes down the mountain, and large crowds follow him. Something about this man has compelled people to follow him. They see in him he's different. He's not like the religious leaders who are weighing heavy burdens on us. He is giving words that speak life. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him. Now, something we don't uh, see here in the original language is, is it actually says, behold, a man with leprosy, or behold, a leper came to him. Th this word behold is intended to grab hold of our attention. 
Like we should be like eyes wide open. Behold, a man with leprosy came and knelt down before Jesus. Why should this grab our attention? Why is this so shocking? Because in the first century, if you had leprosy, you were completely ostracized from the community. You were not allowed to be around other people. Notice what Leviticus, the law says, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. If you want some fun reading, read Leviticus 13 and 14. It's all about skin diseases. It's just fabulous reading. Uh, and this was the law. If you had a skin disease, which uh, back then wasn't just Hansen's disease, it was any type of skin disease that you had, you were ostracized from the community. You had to stay outside the camp. You must live alone. You were isolated. Can you imagine how lonely this life was for this man? He is living on the outskirts of town, away from everyone else. And if anyone comes near him or he comes near anyone else, he has to, as he walks by, he has to say, unclean, unclean, and everyone scatters because this could be highly contagious. They don't want to come near him. He is isolated, he is alone, and in this moment, he comes and he kneels before Jesus. We don't hear him say unclean. This is a bold move by this man. He is desperate for Jesus to heal him. He comes, large crowds are following Jesus, and a man with leprosy boldly comes and kneels before Jesus. The word for kneel here is this Greek word, proskineo, which literally means to worship or go down on one's knees. It's the same word used of the Magi when they worship Jesus and give him gifts. Uh, this man worships Jesus. He recognizes that Jesus has the power to heal him. And he calls him Lord. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This man comes with great humility on his knees, which, by the way, must have caused him great pain. If he's afflicted with leprosy, it must have caused him great pain to get down on his knees. But he gets down on his knees in humility before Jesus calls him Lord, and yet, not only in humility, but with great boldness in the midst of the crowds and knowing deep in his soul, this man can heal me. I believe this man can heal me. Jesus does something absolutely stunning next. The, the proper thing to do in the culture would be tell him, you must get away. You are unclean. But he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Uh, if Jesus was a good and proper religious rabbi, he would tell the man, you need to get away from me, and you need to get away from the crowds. Because this man has been labeled. His label is leper. But Jesus 
sees his personhood. And the text tells us Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. This man has been labeled leper. Jesus affirms his personhood and in so doing breaks the law, touches a man with leprosy. That's Jesus' first action towards this man. To touch the one who is unclean, to touch the untouchable, to accept the one who has been unaccepted, to invite in the one who has been excluded. Jesus reaches out his hand and touches this man. Imagine you're this man for a moment. You have not been touched in probably years. And Jesus touches him. To, to be ostracized from the community, to be isolated, to live alone, and to never be touched and never have community. That this is, could be as bad as losing your sight, losing your hearing. You have lost all social status. This, this was social death and physical death. And in this moment, this man who has not been touched in probably years, Jesus reaches out his hand and touches him. Uh, we know now through psychological studies that have been done, the power of human touch. It can heal. Appropriate human touch can heal. Inappropriate touch can damage and kill, can't it? But appropriate touch can be so very healing in our lives. Uh, I was taken, um, there's a whole group of ladies that have been reading this book, Surrender to Love, together. Um, and so I've been reading it. I figured, hey, if like 20 ladies are reading it, I'm going to read it too. Um, and I've read a couple of books by David Benner, but I had not read this one. And I was so taken when I got to this part, uh, and I want to share it with you, because it, it has to do with uh, the power of, of healing touch, and also just the power of presence, uh, the power of love to heal. He talks about this young lady who came to his counseling office named Amanda, and she was dressed head to toe in black with large black circles painted around her eyes, uh, and she had uh, attempted suicide three different times. Her face and ears were riddled with studs and rings, and she wore a dog collar and tag. The collar was attached to a waist belt with a conspicuous industrial grade chain. Chains also dangled from the epaulets of her black trench coat. I recognized the uniform of a goth that role prized by angry young people because of its enormous potential to shock. Amanda did not even acknowledge my presence when I introduced myself. She did, however, get up and follow me to my office. I was somewhat surprised that the woman sitting beside her did the same. In my office, she introduced herself as Amanda's mother. Turning to Amanda, I asked if she was willing to have her mother accompany her for this consultation. She answered that her mother was her best friend and that she had come because she was invited. I was intrigued. 
Young people like Amanda are not often best friends with their mothers, and yet the affection between them was clear. Sensing also, however, her mother's disapproval of Amanda's lifestyle, I asked what was the bond that had allowed her to remain close to her mother. Amanda replied, for as long as I can remember, every night of my life, I end the day by getting in bed with my mom and snuggling. Amanda's relationship with her mother is quite remarkable and is in large part responsible for the fact that she has now left behind what she describes as her black period and is finding her way through adolescence in a relatively healthy manner. Amanda knew that she was deeply loved just exactly as she was. Her mother disapproved of her use of drugs, her promiscuous sex, her astoundingly profane language, her satanic practices, and most other aspects of her lifestyle. But with a wisdom that I have rarely seen in parents, she recognized that what her daughter needed was not lectures, but love. Fortunately, she had been given this in large doses for all of Amanda's life. Equally fortunately, she did not now allow her disapproval of her daughter's behavior to interrupt this pattern in the slightest. Amanda's mother offered a truly transforming love, transforming because while it could be resisted, it could not be received without profound psycho-spiritual impact. I find that story just so beautiful that despite all the, the deep pain and anguish and, and sorrow and heartache within Amanda, uh, she would still get in bed and snuggle with her mom. Uh, she knew it was a safe place. Uh, that encounter of human touch. Uh, this man comes to Jesus and Jesus touches him. Touches him in all his ugliness, in all his leprosy, in all his outcastness, in all his unacceptability. Jesus reaches out and says, you are accepted, you are invited in, you are a part of the community, and touches him and says, I am willing, be clean. That there is such power in the way we are present to people, in the way we touch them, but whether physically, or not. You remember the old uh, uh, phone commercials, reach out and touch someone? Uh, th th this is uh, a powerful truth, that when we reach out with compassion, with mercy, with grace, something beautiful happens. There is also such power in our words. Jesus says, I am willing be clean. Jesus is healing word and healing touch. Meet this man where he is. And then Jesus so it gives him some instructions. It just seems kind of odd uh, at the end of this amazing encounter. Jesus says, see that you don't tell anyone, but Go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Uh, and so Je Jesus is inviting this man. He wants him to go through the motions of the law and go ahead and present yourself to the priest and, and show that you're clean and, and present 
the gifts. You can read Leviticus 14 if you're interested in how that whole ordeal goes down. Uh, it's quite a lengthy ordeal. Um, interestingly, uh, there's a parallel passage to this in uh, um, Mark 1, at verses 40 through 45. And in Mark's version, verse 45, it says something to the extent that the man didn't do it. He went, instead, he went off telling everyone that Jesus had cleaned him, cured him. Uh, Seems like the man perhaps didn't uh, hold much stock in the, the priestly way and, and the religious authorities and instead started proclaiming Jesus as Lord and the one who had healed him. Um, this morning, uh, before we come and partake of the bread and the cup, I simply want to invite you into uh, a couple of thoughts. Uh, the first is who are, who are the lepers? Who are the lepers in our culture? Who are the lepers in your life? Uh, reflect on that for a moment. Who are the untouchables? Uh, who are the excluded ones? Who, who are the people that are kept at arm's length that perhaps Jesus is inviting you to reach out? and to touch, to be a healing presence in their lives. Uh, the second thing I want to invite you to reflect on is uh, I want you to put yourself into this story in the place of the leper. Uh, be because we, we were all outside the camp, weren't we? We were all isolated. We were all infected with leprosy within us, weren't we? And Jesus keeps saying over and over again, I am willing, be clean. I am willing, be clean. And he continues to over and over again reach out and touch us, to bring us more healing, more wholeness, and more hope and forgiveness in our lives. The, the, the reality is that apart from Jesus, we're all outside the camp. That apart from Jesus, we should all be walking around looking at each other saying, unclean, unclean, I'm unclean. But Jesus says you're clean. I have made you clean. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the healing touch of Jesus. And thank you for his healing words. Thank you, Jesus, for making us clean. God, I pray that we would accept that gift with such great gratitude that we would humble ourselves before you. In thanks. And that we would respond as you do, reaching out and touching the untouchables. God, put on our hearts 
today someone you're calling us to reach out to? To speak a healing word, to give a healing touch, to be your presence in the world. God, as we come and take this bread and dip it in the cup, remind us anew that we are forgiven, we are made clean, we are made whole in you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.